consumer experiences, major disruptors, and AI tech are shaping healthcare for years to come. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on those issues with leaders who are driving change. I'm Chris Hemphill, your host of Hello Healthcare, and we hope that these stories will help you to create or demand a better future in healthcare. Our first two seasons of Hello Healthcare are available on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our conversations with some of healthcare's most well-respected leaders in marketing, business strategy, data science, and much more. If you like what you hear, please share with your friends and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Tag president of AHA Media Group, and we are very excited because we are getting ready to go to our favorite conference of the year, HCIC. I really hope you'll join us. My colleague, Laura Nightingale, is going to be speaking about mapping the persona of a chronically ill patient to your funnel and to your SEO. So I hope you'll join us. You can check out how to register. It's November 7th to 9th at the JW Marriott Turnberry in Miami, Florida, and go to hcic.net. Again, that's hcic.net and check it out. I can't wait to see you there. Hello, healthcare. I am excited to be joined by Dr. Daniel Derman, who is the Chief Innovation Executive at Northwestern Medicine. Daniel is a practicing physician in internal medicine, and you've been in that role for... In a month, it'll be 38 years at one place at Northwestern Memorial. I've had a number of different responsibilities besides running a primary care office, For the last six years, I've been the chief innovation executive. Excellent. So what excites me about that, especially the last six years that you mentioned, is that in in healthcare, there's a mixture of risk aversion, which I think is very valid in a lot of cases, extremely regulated industry. But there's the, the huge question of when we start looking at innovation, where do we go? What's our guiding star? What guides the path that we take? And Dr. Daniel and I have been having some good conversation on what it means to focus on the patient how to personalize our offerings and and basically where that's going with the overall patient experience. So with that, Daniel, you're the best to introduce yourself. Just wanted to to get your perspective on on your background and and what's brought you down this path of focusing on innovation so totally. Got it. And I'm going to come back to the innovation and you brought up a really important point, but you want a little bit about background in terms of a practicing internist, been at Northwestern my whole career. I didn't have any particular expertise in innovation when they tapped me to do this. My CEO knew that we were doing everything we could with the way healthcare systems were built and the ecosystem was operating, but we didn't have anyone who was out there thinking about how the world's gonna change and how we can prepare to do that. And in my prior life at the hospital system, introduced a lot of new innovative ideas, but the real reason they tapped me was that I really understood operations. And one of the challenges with innovation is in many places, innovation is out there on an island, not connected to the main part of the hospital system. So they're out there finding answers without actually asking the question. I get an answer and now I go find someone who's going to ask the question, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I find this new, cool technology and then I go looking, is there anyone at Northwestern that wants to use it? Well, that's bass backwards, as Mm -hmm. they say. And I learned and have a lot of scars in my back through time that the really right way to do this is talk to. 
embed yourself with the operators to find out what their problems are and then go try to find solutions, be it companies or new ideas generated by our own faculty and staff to try to answer those most pressing needs. Anytime I came up and found a new technology and then went to find a sponsor or a champion, they almost always didn't take hold. So I would say that's one of the principal lessons is let innovation start with the operators. And any project we do now always has an operator attached to our hip. Now, one other thing you brought out in the introduction, which was really wise, and I don't know if you realized it, but innovation, well, the way that medicine is designed is we use something that's called evidence-based medicine. Theoretically, a drug does not touch the body until we've proven that it's safe and that there's a benefit to it. That's what we call evidence-based. We don't do something to any human being until we've proven it that it's safe. Well, now let's think about innovation. Innovation means taking a risk. It means doing something that isn't proven. You couldn't get two cultures that are less designed to coexist than evidence-based medicine and innovation. And not only is it our clinicians that are evidence-based, but that ethos has worked its way into the administrative group as well. We just don't do things in healthcare unless we have an idea that it's gonna work and a really good idea that it's gonna work. So the idea of trying new things does not really sit well. So with that being the issue, I go back to the way that we solve that is by bringing the operators in early so that we can try something. And you know, one of the watchwords or the, or the phrases in innovation is fail fast. Try something. If it doesn't work, modify it, modify it again. And if it doesn't work, move on to something else. A lot of the points that you bring up too, they really resonate with me because I'm going to call myself guilty or call the healthcare tech industry guilty on one aspect of here's a problem. We make things sound cool. If we say that artificial intelligence is extremely awesome, extremely powerful technology, then doggone it, like uh, people will start looking for, well, I want to use natural language processing or I want to use these technologies. But the point that you're bringing up so powerfully is for what? If we're starting with just how great that technology sounds, it's kind of that solution, well, hey, we bought this thing, and now that's our hammer, and everything starts looking like a nail. That's right. But by starting from the, the operator's perspective, uh, who are you referring to exactly when you so say So those are the people in the trenches that are actually dealing. So my example is with a healthcare system. It could be a payer. It could be a new tech company. It doesn't matter. But the person who's in the trenches who I was really trying to figure out. So let me give you a very something in context today. I think everybody knows with COVID and the, ep and the epidemic that uh, labor shortages are a tremendous problem, and particularly in nursing. So our use of contract nurses has gone way up in the last 12 months or longer. So we're now we're looking at and very focused to go out and find a digital solution or a technology solution that would help alleviate the need to use contract nursing, which comes in at a very exorbitant rate. So right now we're piloting a new technology that we developed that is a remote nurse with listening that could listen in and do the documentation. May, I don't know if people know this, but a typical nurse on a shift will spend anywhere from 48 to 56% of his or her time documenting in the electronic medical record. If we can have a remote nurse listening in, doing some of that documentation, 
and take half that off their plate, we've now returned 50%, half of that. We've returned 25% productivity to the healthcare system. They could do with it what they want. They may say, nurse, we're now going to give you 25% more time at the bedside. They may cut the FTE count of who they have to have in a shift by 25%. We don't actually care how they do it. Let them make the best decision for them. But we've given them the tools to do that. So that's an example. And by the way, now getting what you're talking about AI, down the road, we start with remote nurses who are listening in, but eventually we're going to use AI and listening to document that all without the need for a human being. So, you know, you don't get me going about AI, but if you did, I would say one has to be very, very careful. It's kind of corny to say this, but it's really augmented intelligence rather than artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it gives the person that's involved with it the ability to operate at a higher level of their degree. So my example with the remote nurse or the AI use with that is now we don't take half of a shift for a nurse to just document, I gave the patient sub-Q heparin, but something else or someone else does that so the nurse can do only what the nurse could do, and that's discharge instructions. Do you understand, Mrs. Jones, that when you go home, you have to do this with your bandage or that with your bandage? That's a really good use of the nursing skill rather than documenting I gave sub-Q heparin. Hello Healthcare is brought to you by Actium Health. Healthcare leaders use Actium's CRM intelligence to drive patient volume by activating patients and driving meaningful engagement. Our AI-driven solution makes patient outreach simple and easy by identifying and predicting patient needs. Learn more at actiumhealth.com. And now, back to the show. So one question that I wanted to get into, since we all of a sudden got into a conversation on personalization, I'd like to just riff on this personalization concept and first start off with your perspective on when you're referring to personalization, because it's something that a lot of people seek. There's a lot of different answers to that question. What's the, uh, the perspective yeah. that you have on personalization? So let me start very big picture, and I'll kind of show my age because the examples I'm going to give, you could probably come up with much better examples than me. But let's put a team photo picture up. And let's have Amazon in the picture, Grubhub, uh, HelloFresh, Airbnb, and a healthcare system. What entity that I just described doesn't fit in that team photo? Healthcare. We don't do anything. And again, there's better examples than the ones I gave. I'm showing my age as a 63-year-old male. There's probably better examples. But the fact is, all of those companies do a much better job of understanding who you are than we do in healthcare. Now, granted, I can get up on my high healthcare horse and tell you, but we're so much more complicated than all these other ones. They have it easy when you're just trying to figure out where do you want to rent a place or where are you going to be picked up? They have a much easier job. But the fact is they do a great job and we do a terrible job of it. So let me start by saying that is that we need to figure out how to be there when a patient wants, what they want, where they want it, when they want it, how they want it. And I would argue we even want to be there before they even know they want it or need it. And what that looks like is in a hyper-personalized experience, how can we tell you that you are going to be a diabetic five years before you declare yourself as an overt diabetic? 
And what might we know about you that says you're at high risk? And you know what? You may have colon cancer before you ever go and get a colonoscopy that proves that you have colon cancer because I've noticed or I can track that your blood count has slowly been drifting down that we use AI to determine that rather than the skill set of an individual provider who has to look at that and go, hey, it's gone down by a little bit because most people blow that off. So I think understanding and providing all that experience for a patient, it's what I call a patient CRM. Nobody has that. People do different parts of that really well. I'm sure there are healthcare systems out there that have a beautiful kiosk system right now so that when you go in, they don't have to give you that old clipboard where you fill in your name and your allergies and the medicines you're on. There are people that do a really great job of that today. Some do, some don't, but that's at the bottom of the pyramid. We got to do all that really well. We have to know what your preferences are. Do we want to contact you by email, by text, by phone? You know, those are all simple stuff. What language you use. You've been an inpatient, so we know that you're a pescatarian not to give you meat. That's table stakes. As you go up the ladder, we know more and more about you and help your navigation be personalized for you. At the top of the pyramid today are all the omics, genomics, and it's it's what do we know about you and your DNA and that's going to say what's going to happen to you in the future. Right now, that's the top of the pyramid, so to speak, about what we might know about you. But chances are there's something else that's going to replace that. So as I said, there are different people that do a good job of bits and pieces of this, mm-hmm. but nobody has put that all together in what I call a clinical CRM. And for us, as incumbents, i.e. those that now take care of a lot of patients, if we want to maintain that position, we're going to need to figure that out because a lot of people, disruptors, are nipping at our heels that are doing a better job at it than we are in components of it. My challenge is to figure out how to do across the board a great job of that across the lifetime of a patient. So how do we do a great job of that with wellness? with a chronic disease like diabetes or rheumatoid arthritis, a time when you have an acute serious illness like we found breast cancer or colon cancer or you had a stroke, how do we do a good job across all that continuum? That's really, to me, the holy grail of a hyper-personalized experience. Well, I love that description. And I think that one thing that we can zoom in on is you say that uh, some folks are doing it well in pieces and parts. What would you say is that kind of the pieces and parts that are right. starting to show So some I promise? described some of those already. For instance, this idea of a kiosk so that we know who you are and you don't have to repeat. It's maddening to everybody that everywhere you go, you got to pull out your insurance card again. You got to show your driver's license. That's very simple stuff. But there are many healthcare systems that are also doing these patient journeys. They're mapping out, for instance, in the world of a heart attack, they're mapping out the whole journey of a patient and they're knocking down barriers so that a patient and their family can have an expedited, great experience if it's a cancer, God forbid, or a heart attack. I'm not critical. Those are perfect examples of doing a great job and we have to be doing those activities. But in a lot of places, those are in a vacuum. They're responding to specific patient journeys for a particular illness or set of challenges that a patient has. I'm looking to think about how we might do that more globally and fit those in under a 
general rubric of putting together a hyper-personalized experience. So do you see that as potentially one approach that is able to be generalized, or do you see it as a collection of different approaches and responses to to different... Yeah, honestly, I'm sorting that through right now. That's exactly the work that my team and I are doing. I think one way could be just doing these individual ones and then figuring out how to string them together. Mm -hmm. I'm worried, knowing how healthcare works a lot of times, that it's so idiosyncratic that once you build one for cardiology, congratulations, you have it for cardiology. And the Venn diagram between how you built it for cardiology and how you build it for cancer is going to have an overlap of 20, 30% instead of an overlap of 80, 90%. Mm -hmm. So that's just some early thoughts. I'm not sure. And I, I, the jury's out on it. I know a lot of places that are building these journeys and we may do something similar like that, but that's the challenge I'm having now is trying to figure that out. It strikes me that the reason why it is so fragmented is because the reality that there's so many differences. So here's an example, for instance, like take cardiology, oncology, cancer, or a stroke. In all of those, nutrition plays a very important role. Probably, by the way, parenthetically, the providers don't give it enough homage of how important it is, but we'll leave that aside. But those are the things that you can build the unit or the bolt-on of how nutrition fits in, where it may vary a little bit. Cancer may be, you know, four degrees off of it, but probably 80, 90% of the essence of it is the same platform. And then you just do some tweaking to fit what are the needs of a stroke versus cardiology versus oncology, as an example. Yeah. And when we bring it back to that patient CRM perspective, it just seems like you have a general foundation that that can do all all these sorts of things, but it has to be really flexible to these. And that is the idea of a platform. Listen, everyone talks about a platform. The ideal platform is something exactly that. It's a platform for which you stand on or you build off of that gives you anywhere from probably 60 to 80% of what you need and you tweak the rest. But that's a lot different than a point solution where you build it and it specifically applies for only for cardiology at Northwestern. That's really not helpful for other disease states or if you go outside of Northwestern. Indeed. So the way that you describe this, like I want people to have something tangible. We know that hyper-personalization to the degree that we're discussing, that's a ways off. And who knows if it's going to be a a platform that enables this versus like a a network of of different approaches, best of breed. I'm leaning towards platform that enables that, but that's the subject of another conversation. For this conversation, I wanted people to be able to have a good sense on let's take one of these pockets of personalization that we discussed. How about we dissect that, break that down into what's a good approach to pursuing that innovation versus the types of things that we should avoid in in this case. So this will continue with the theme that I think I hit was understanding who the customers are for your innovation. And I spoke already a lot about this hyper-personalized experience. And you'll notice that I was very focused on the customer, the consumer, the patient. But I will tell you that if you build a module and a platform that has as your target only the customer and the patient, it's going to fail because it's not going to work for the provider side who is inevitably part of the equation. So it's a dual challenge. And I'd say that's probably what I'd end with is the idea of always thinking about who your target audience are and who you need to satisfy. Because if you only if you have two key customers and you only satisfy one of them, it ain't going to work. So I have a built a system that is beautiful for the client, the patient, but doesn't address the needs and doesn't work for the provider. 
it ain't going to work. The whole thing will fall apart, even though it's beautifully designed for the patient. So as an example, I guess I'd leave people with this idea of, you know, KYC, know your customer, but really understand who your customer is and who could sabotage or prevent success and making sure that you bring them in that journey early. Because the other factor is once I get really wedded to something and then I bring an operator who has an observation, I'm less willing to take that into account or modify what I do because I've now built a world that I'm very invested in. Mm -hmm. That's another reason why bringing those people in early before you become invested is a market, is a real measure for success. So know your customer and know your operator, it sounds That's like. That's right. Well, in this case, in this case, know your customer is bifurcated mm -hmm. and understanding that you have in this hyper-personalized, you really have two sets of customers. Well, again, thank you very much for joining in with us. Really love the conversation and uh, hoping to have more soon. Great. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it too. Thank you. And for the folks that enjoyed this conversation, a lot of what Dr. Derman was talking about, especially like the, the need and the concept for a new platform that can be hyper-personalized, it reminds me of a conversation we had last year with Dr. John Glasser, who was CEO of Siemens. It was called, It's Time for a New Type of EHR. So it really gets down into a vision on what we should be pursuing. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with me and Dr. Daniel Derman. And until we see you next time, hello. Thanks again for tuning into Hello Healthcare. If you like what you heard, we appreciate a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You and your feedback fuel us. This conversation is brought to you by Actium Health. To get the latest on what these healthcare leaders are saying, find us at hellohealthcare.com and subscribe. Thank you. And when we see you next time, hello. Hello.